Hi, I'm Dr. Jane Thomason, and I'm really happy to be joining you here for this really great conversation with Elisa Gus on metaverse health, risks and opportunities. And there's so much going on at the moment, but let me first ask Lisa to introduce herself and then we'll get right into it. Absolutely. Thanks, Jane. Uh, Jane it's really great to be talking to you. And um, my name is Lisa Gass. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Vishkish. We are a decentralized ledger technology company. And separately, uh, we have done a lot of work. I have done a lot of work personally and otherwise on what it really means right now uh, in the context of Web3. So excited to jump into it. Yeah, looking forward to the conversation. So maybe just um, in the start, because we are going to be talking about the metaverse, I just briefly want to give an introduction. Uh, I'm from the World Metaverse Council, and it, this is a voluntary collaboration of, of over a 1,000 people across the world in 100 countries. And we came together because we wanted to be able to kind of crowdsource the distributed knowledge about the developments in metaverse all around the world and share them. Because we know that there are issues with standards, regulation, ethics. Um, there's really interesting developments going on in healthcare and education and open metaverse and AI and metaverse. So we wanted to try and bring that all together and share it with people. But there are people that you meet who just think that meta is the metaverse and that's all there is about it. But as we know, and as you know, there are over 600 companies building metaverses and they're approaching it from a really different uh, approach. And uh, the World Metaverse Council is really um, behind the Web3 open decentralized metaverse, the Web3 internet of value and the opportunity for people to be able to participate as a result of that. Um, but of all of these metaverses, it's immersive, it's always on, there's some combination of technologies, including AR, VR, AI and so forth. And it's producing exciting opportunities for healthcare, among other things. But Lisa, just start, maybe let's start with Outside of the metaverse, there's some big moves going on in healthcare. We've got the platformization of healthcare, the consumerization of healthcare, the big techs are moving into it. So the traditional providers have got some real competition from the big techs. And then we've got the growth of consumer data marketplaces, and we're understanding the importance of data and the value of data and the future of data, if you like, as the new healthcare currency. So this is an area that I know you're really interested and involved in. Can you tell us uh, both what you're doing and what are some of your thoughts about what this is and where it's going to go and why it matters for the audience? That's such a wonderful question, especially uh, now that we are uh, coming in in the wake of COVID-19. I think really, um, what it has shown us is when the data is truly free and interoperable and used without borders, we can come up with ideas that are going to really propel us much further than we could have hoped otherwise. I'm, I would never say COVID was a good thing, um, but will I say it has almost had the effect of a war on the proliferation of healthcare? Yeah, I mean, you must have been reading about what, what it actually is doing uh, for cancer research. And that would not have been possible had the data not been shared by countries um, freely and openly. And I think that's what we really need to work towards when we can do it in peacetime, when we don't have to worry about data being stolen, when IP rights are well tracked 
and when people are able to come in and not worry that either their PII um, can be taken advantage of or uh, when their IP can be uh, taken away and actually maybe used for evil or maybe for personal gain. And I think that's where the health metaverse and that is currency concepts need to come in and um, the standardization of that data and the way we attain it, I think, should probably be uh, at the forefront of a lot of our conversations right now. What do you think? So, uh, yeah, well, let, let's kind of um, dig into that a little bit because I think there's there's a few things there. Um, certainly, I agree with you, COVID really kind of opened up possibilities for healthcare because, to be honest with you, before COVID, if people would ask me if healthcare was ripe for disruption, um, I would have said just no. It's too regulated. There's too many legacy systems. There's too many kind of cartels who control it. No, but uh, because of COVID, we learned we can treat people remotely. We can exchange data securely, um, you know, across institutions and across countries. So I actually think that it opened up healthcare for more innovation. But just on that issue about data, so we learned we can do the secure exchange of data. And um, one of the things that I'm seeing now as a trend is, let, let's say data is held in many places. It's held in hospitals, it's held in health insurers, it's held with radiologists, it's held in community clinics. But now that we know how to be able to move that data securely into one place, we have the potential to create health data marketplaces that can be used for scientific discovery and research. Um, are you seeing much of this taking place? And I'd like you to comment on this thorny subject of self-sovereign identity and whether really individuals are going to be able to monetize their own health data. Well, you know, first of all, I would say I'm seeing a lot of it. Uh, we ourselves are working on four different use cases in that space um, as a technology provider. But, you know, there was one conversation that really comes to mind um, with a friend of mine uh, whose brother has uh, an uncurable disease and it's actually progressive. So what the, what she was telling me is how much it would mean to her um, to have, especially to her brother, to be able to com contribute to a cure. And when he's actually had come to physicians and uh, potential research clinics, they would tell him that there is so few of the people around with his condition that it's hard to collect data and how much he would be happy to just offer it freely, so long as there may be an attribution to him and so long that any gains could be done um, in a way, well, both health gains and monetary gains could be then used for uh, future 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 treatments. And so I told her, well, how about the data marketplace? And she was telling me, yes, he would go for it. He doesn't need anything other than the fact that he's participating. So I think that's really coming from both patients um, and practitioners as well. I mean, what's yeah, the data marketplace? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, what is a data marketplace at the end? Uh, it's basically an idea uh, uh, to facilitate the conduct conduction of the data between different locations. And the thing is, you're talking about bringing it to one place, but do you need to even go that far? Can't you actually create distributed AI that's going to crunch the data exactly where it already is? To me, that's the real metaverse. Oh, no, that's, a, that's an amazing idea. but. Um... 
And I think we're going to have many distributed things coming up. But let me ask you another question that I was just thinking about, because um, one of the issues about people making their own data available is often this is genetic data, which means by making my genetic data available, you're my sister or my cousin, somehow I'm giving people access into your genetic data as well. So there are, there are kind of um, ethical questions around that and privacy questions around that and risk questions about that because maybe we've got some sort of, uh, you know, genetic trait that means your employer, if they found out, may not employ you or your health insurer might increase your health insurance. So we're opening up a whole lot of new questions that need to be looked at and considered in terms of how that data is accessed and identified. See, I think that's the perfect uh, segue into the identification and the need to provide the data that's completely abstracted from a person who's giving it. Uh, in our uh, version of the ledger, for example, uh, we assign to every user a random uh, annual nickname. And in that sense, um, create a boundary that is fully um, double blind studies that are identifying uh, participants from uh, anyone who has access to the data. But I think um, the, uh, we are only a single ledger, which is why, to me, the standardization of this kind of practice is important. And that's why I'm also participating in the Metaverse Standards Forum and in a few several organizations to really speak about um, the research and policy that is needed to create the, the identification for medical data. Yeah, and look, I think that this is a challenge, too, because jurisdictional boundaries apply. So there might be something going on in the US that's different than what's going on in Europe that might be different than what's going on elsewhere. So, you know, there really does need to be a global collaboration to at least accept some sort of basic set of standards for, for that exchange and for the de-identification of data. Mm -hmm. What do you, you think know, about that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And then actually the question becomes which organization is able to carry it for should it be under the standards of the UN should we be talking to the EU regulations and in fact to uh, in my understanding the harshest and I guess more protective laws are around in uh, around GDPR at least is in South Africa so which standards do we apply and who has control of them uh, have you spoken about this well, in your that's... studies yeah, look, this is a real question because, in fact, uh, a couple of months ago, I was in Saudi Arabia and ITU, the International Technology Union, was launching um, its uh, work to do standards for the metaverse. So I think we're going to have a whole lot of different competing bodies and ultimately there's going to be have some kind of uh, collaboration or coming together on some basic standards that people are going to accept worldwide but to be honest with you I don't think that there's a fit body um, mm -hmm. to be the standard holder for this because even if you look at UN, OECD, um, the European Union and so forth they're all learning at the same time as we're learning and the governance if you like system that we accepted after the second world war is really not fit for this digital world so I mean, I'm veering off topic because we're on healthcare, so we'll come straight back to healthcare. But I just don't think we have a global governance that's suitable for the digital economy in healthcare or in any other sector. 
And so we're exposing ourselves to a lot of questions and a lot of risks. And so one of the um, questions that I, I'd like to ask you about is that, you know, if, you, if we just go purely into this, there's legal and regulatory questions, and then there's new questions about risks to people in the metaverse, like mental health and, um, you know, sort of psychological trauma. Uh, what's your thinking about this and what's your experience? How do you think we should be handling this? Well, here in the US, for example, um, the attorney, I mean, Surgeon General has recently stated as literally the greatest danger to us since the pandemic being mental health. And in fact, use mental health in particular. So the more our kids are coming online, uh, I think the higher uh, the risk of adverse effects there are. Um, I actually recently had a conversation um, with a highly placed exec in the gaming world, and she mentioned that she um, was convening a forum of independent regulators um, as well, well, from multiple countries actually, as well as academics and uh, industry people. And what they're seeing is what we are experiencing now with the growth in depression and youth suicide, et cetera, will be as nothing that we have seen yet. The more people are moving online and the more kids who have actually are called uh, children of the pandemic um, are shown not to have lost the vital time to grow um, the kind of physiological conditioning that's needed to handle stress. And I think the stress that's coming in from all the directions um, that, that come to your um, at us, when it comes to your attention, to when it comes to advertising, to comes to social media, um, it's not something that we can even qualify yet. Um, and yet now we're having to mitigate it on the fly. And so I think what this um, Congress of ours is doing, and what groups such as ours are are talking about, we are really um, begin just beginning to figure out what it is we need to do much less, um, you know, the risk they're fighting against. I mean, this is, it's a pandemic, not unlike COVID to come back to it. So to me, it's like, so, so we, we do, need to do it. We really, yeah, we really need the research. Um, a year or so ago, actually during the pandemic, Dr. Ingrid Vassilou Feltes and I um, edited a book called Applied Ethics in a Digital World. And there were several chapters in there that are looking at healthcare, both the issue about privacy, consent, the issue about, um, you know, the impact of long-term immersion on children and what are some of the risks. So we, we explored some of that there. But, you know, on the uh, flip side, what I'm seeing with the metaverse is that one of the... Um, early use cases that's being developed is around mental health in the metaverse. And there are a number of um, projects going on. One's actually with Apollo Hospitals Group in India and a game company uh, who are using gamification for mental health for um, post-traumatic stress disorder and phobias and so forth. And I met a really interesting guy from Rocket Health in Consensus who was showing me a very well-developed uh, mental health uh, package in the metaverse and there's another one here called Vault Hill so uh, I, I've seen at least half a dozen or more you know sincerely well-developed experimentations with metaverse 
for mental health and for phobias like preparing children for going to hospital, for example. So while there are risks on the negative side, there are a number of different areas in relation to treatment and management of mental health uh, conditions. And even I was in a metaverse meditation chamber uh, a little while back and it was terribly relaxing. So I can see that and expect some developments there. But um, let's move on to this work that you've been doing with the UN. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so um, basically a few of us uh, from the academia, technology and advertising have come together as part of the uh, future capital and UN uh, collaboration on the need to establish guidelines uh, for conscious attention economy and for the way we really see data as currency that we have a right to uh, and how really uh, adherence to the sustainable advertising and sustainable social media and data sharing can lead to the faster attainment of the SDG goals. Um, so about a couple of months ago, we had come up with a use case um, and list of guidelines for how to achieve it. and. Uh, while the UN has come out with a complementary paper that we have co-authored um, around what they're calling yellow sustainable attention economy um, around the same practice. And now that the academic part is done, what we are really looking at is a way to create almost like a dataverse around it. Because to me, again, metaverse is a visual representation of the idea of the sharing data economy. And so uh, this might actually become a council. It might be something that works in conjunction with the Metaverse Standards Forum, a way to really bring in the data governance uh, as an underpinning for a successful Metaverse. Oh, data, data governance is going to be such an issue. And I mean, there's a whole range of other issues in relation to the Metaverse that we are only beginning to think about because we've got the governance, we've got the privacy, we've got the cybersecurity. We, we have issues around protecting children, protecting IP. There are going to be many new issues in the metaverse. Plus what you know, which is there'll be more data points about us being collected through the goggles, through IOTs and various connected devices. So there's going to be more data and knowledge about the people who are participating in the metaverse than ever before. And this, of course, can bring its own risks. Well, you know, there is also the fact that there is expense to those goggles um, and something that uh, the most vulnerable among us, which is the elderly, the veterans, the kids might not even have attention. Uh, I mean, might not have access to not to mention um, the developing countries. And so I'm wondering if you also need to consider the fact that we are creating a new, um, you know, uh, have and have nots economy, because who exactly is going to take advantage of all the developments in healthcare, for example, or even in just the data delivery? So I think that's a really important point. And a lot of my work is with emerging economies. So I work a lot. Um, with com countries in Asia and Africa, and a lot of our council members are actually from um, the developing world. But when I talk to them, the conversation is really different because they know it's going to be mobile enabled or tablet enabled. They're not dreaming ever that all of the bottom billion in India are going to have goggles. So their approach to metaverse and immersive experiences is really quite different. Mm -hmm. They're trying to think about how to reach those people who might only have a mobile phone. So I think it's going to be very interesting 
And I, I believe that the most widespread adoption won't be complete immersion. It'll be some sort of augmented reality experience that allow people to kind of have that immersive experience, but through a much, much cheaper device. So that's a critically important um, conversation. But I wonder, you touched on the elderly. And one of the things that, you know, I've been thinking about in relation to healthcare, if you think about um, the elderly, the vulnerable, the disabled, the mentally ill, and people who might find it difficult to actually go to seek healthcare, the metaverse gives an opportunity for them to be able to reach in using IOTs and wearables, have some of their basic um, measurements taken and to speak to, you know, avatar counsellors and other people who can help them with their problems. So I actually think that we're going to see improved access for people who currently have very limited access. And also from an educational point of view, if you've got an elderly person, you're teaching them how to do diabetic foot care or something like that, then they can in a very immersive way um, go through with their avatar worker how exactly to look after their feet and, and ask all of the questions. So I think from that point of view, it's going to open some access. I just wanted to move on because we've only got um, five minutes left. Just back to this issue of gamification, because one of the um, developments that we're starting to see is gamification in healthcare. So um, gamification for wellness and for you know, fitness and so forth. So we're seeing quite a number of um, applications developing where you are rewarded for doing exercise, whether it's a game where you have pets that battle and, and they get bigger and stronger if you do exercise or other ones where you're rewarded with tokens for doing exercise. So I think incentivization and gamification is going to have a role uh, in the future and also in education generally, but education, medical education specifically, because uh, it's going to be possible to make it much more engaging, much more interesting and actually reward students for gaining skills. And with the data, when you're looking at education and you're tracking what students are learning, much more than a conventional classroom, you can really see what they have and haven't learned and where they're stuck and give them micro learnings to be able to um, compensate for that. So I think we will see in medical education some real advances, and that's without even talking about digital twins for operations, surgery, <laughs> new buildings, and so forth. Um, um, so I think you're right, but I actually do need to kind of bring up a topic that, um, according to the nation, uh, international guidelines, you need to be very careful about any gamification or any data handling you do with the kids under the age of 13. And I think that we need to potentially come up with certain expanded guidelines because kids are increasingly going to find themselves online from the very early age. And so if you're wanting to instill the good skills in them, the same, especially around healthcare and exercise, that they would experience in classrooms, then those standards need to either be relaxed or adjusted to allow for this interaction. Uh, you know, that's an interesting point because one of the things that I've been thinking because, you know, I often talk about how we protect children in the metaverse, I think, in, and someone was just asking me today about, you know, the dark web and so forth, I feel like we're going to have some sort of metaverse 
confidence organization that's going to say this has got the green tick of confidence this is a safe secure place where people aren't going to exploit your data and you know there's there's some governance around what goes on in that metaverse. So I think we'll have something like, you know, for movies, you've got PG, parental guidance and mature audiences. I think we'll have some metaverses, which um, society is generally guided to go to for particular services or experiences. And then probably a whole lot of rogue metaverses that aren't um, accredited by anyone and people will use, but at least we can, uh, direct our children or guide our children to be going to the ones that are rendered somewhat safe. And similarly with governments, they're not going to randomly allow people to receive services in unsafe metaverses. And there is also, I think, the fact that metaverse is actually made of data, right? And so we have been talking about how do we make sure that, and that comes back to uh, governance, how do you actually limit the exposure to the information that's coming at you? Maybe it's actually safe, but that you're going to be bombarded by it. So how do you basically get to change a lens through which you view what's out there, where you become almost your own browser uh, to the data? Because, you know, imagine walking around, you're surrounded by advertising, you're surrounded by potentially experiences out there. How are you even going to function unless you uh, learn to filter it as well? Well, I think that that uh, brings up a really important issue around metaverse literacy, digital literacy, managing in the new data economy. So this is just doesn't just apply to healthcare; it applies mm -hmm. to you know life in general. So, what's your thoughts? Um, I mean, I am continuously confronted with people who have no idea about the datification, the, you know, what the platform companies are doing, what metaverse is, the risks that are there. And so how do we get some kind of credible knowledge and education out there to help people navigate their way through this very, very fast-changing landscape? You know, I was recently chatting uh, with a friend of mine, and one thing that we were saying is there needs to almost be a class introduced a subject in school that deals with new technologies. Remember how about 30 years ago, uh, computer literacy and typing have become a required subject? I think in, in new technologies from the metaverse to blockchain to data privacy actually literally needs to be a part of the curriculum going forward. Um, as for the older folk, um, I think maybe continuous learning um, that's paid for by the governments, if possible, should be introduced so that people can get unbiased in access to information because so much of what they're going to learn online would actually be detrimental, potentially even to their mental health, because I think between fear-mongering and speculation and uh, visual thinking, that's just too much right now to really vital through on your own. I want, I want to add that because, you know, if you see how chat GPT bursts onto the scene and then suddenly people are, are losing proportions of their jobs or in some cases people will lose all of their jobs. So I think to that point that there needs to be some probably government enabled but rapid reskilling of people for the jobs in the new data economy is going to be absolutely vital for those adults who are losing portions or all of their jobs and uh, you know I think that uh, is going to be 
enabled by the metaverse to be able to have data-driven, immersive courses, teaching people whether it's now how to um, program in Unity so you can work in metaverse or how to become a drone technician because that's the latest thing. We have to rapidly be reskilling people multiple times during their lives. Not to mention bringing to healthcare. Um, we have the aging of the population, especially in countries like Japan, for example, and even uh, US and Australia. And here we also need to not just reskill people, but uh, rewire, I guess, their thinking as to who is going to be doing the care and how do you interact with someone if they are stuck at home and potentially with access to the metaverse, but is that enough to maintain um, the human support levels that we have been used to giving to elderly? Well, these are really big questions and it's been such a great conversation with you, but we're just about run out of time. So let me just ask you um, to think of a takeaway uh, idea that you'd like people to walk away with. I, they've probably learned a lot of things through the conversation, but what, what's the kind of number one takeaway you'd like them to walk away from this conversation with? To me, it's that we are on a cusp and potentially just over the cusp of something amazing, but it doesn't mean that we are out of the woods when it comes to risks. So I think my takeaway is proceed slowly, but with wonder in your eyes. And I always like to use the metaphor that this is like discovering fire. It's amazingly exciting and it, and it has so many use cases for humankind, but it's incredibly dangerous as well. And our task is to understand it and harness it and make sure that we don't allow its dangers to kind of pervade. So I think, I think my message and your message to people is lean in, learn about it, you can't stop the pace of change, but you can think about how we can use it better and how we can protect ourselves, our children and future societies so that they, they thrive in the data economy. So thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Um, and thanks for everyone listening in. Likewise.